together we want to go ahead and sing and praise proclaiming all that God has done because he has already won to all who are tired to all who are the tired and the heavy laden hope Lift up your eyes, lift up your head, the power 
truth to begin this day, this day that the Lord has made, that no matter what you're facing, no matter where you are coming from, God has already won through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh yeah. I love that. Um, so we have a great service plan today. We've got uh, dedication, child dedications, and we are continuing on in your love, your neighbor series. And uh, just a quick brief uh, mention to um, later this month, we're going to have another worship night. We would love to have you come and join us to do more of this, to do more singing, praising, giving God all the glory. And uh, that's February 27 here in this room, 6 p.m. We'd love to have you join us for that. Um, but as we continue, as we continue to share God's love, we want to see who is around us today. So grab a few hands, wish a few people a very, very welcome this morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and this is Jenny Holiday. She's our Tot Town director, and this morning we get the uh, fun opportunity of celebrating child dedication together. Um, child dedication is a celebration. It's an acknowledgement that children are a gift from God, and it's these parents' opportunity to be able to present their children back to God and say, uh, God, we want to make a, a commitment to you to raise them in a great way and in a way that um, honors you. There are actually three promises, three commitments that these families um, and us as a church are making here this morning. First, there is a, a promise from each of these families to commit their children to God. Um, it's, a, it's a promise from the parents that recognizes that, uh, that God has given them these kids and they want to give them back to God. It's a promise to God to say, we're going to raise our kids the best we can in a Christian home, one that, that elevates Jesus Christ and puts him at the center of their family. Um, secondly, it's a commitment from uh, to themselves and a commitment to their family and to their children that they're going to do the best that they can to present um, their children with a, a great, healthy Christian environment that puts Jesus at the center of their home um, and that gives them an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then the third commitment, the third promise is from us as a church that we are saying that we want to help and support these families 
the best we can through prayer, through encouragement, and all of those things. So that's the third commitment is from us as a church to these families to help, and help them support and raise their families together. So you may notice that there are some other couples here on the stage with us this morning. And these couples are our church leadership and their spouses. And each couple here is a symbolic reminder of our church family's encouragement and care. So this morning we're going to have each family introduce themselves. And we will start here on my right-hand side. All right, we're the Sires. I'm Stephen, my wife Stacy, and then our daughter Allie. We're the Taylors. This is uh, our firstborn, Adelaide Grace, and we are dedicating London Hope this morning. We're the Cavendishes. Uh, this is my wife, Tammy. Um, it's my oldest daughter, Cassidy, and we're dedicating Kennedy today. Hi, I'm Ben Yonkin, and this is my wife, Stacy, and our daughter, Lily. We've got our son, Logan, back in the daycare. <laughs> we are Steve and Lindsay Shaw. Uh, this is our oldest son, Camden, our daughter, Aubrey, and we're dedicating Nora today. Awesome. Beautiful families, right? I love that. Well, let's pray together as a church and as families to dedicate these kids to God. God, I just uh, thank you for the opportunity to do child dedication and the celebration that this is. And God, I pray for each one of these families. I pray for uh, Steve and Stacy. I pray for Kyle and Ashley. I pray for uh, Paige and Tammy. I pray for Ben and Stacy and Steve and Lindsay. I pray for each one of these families. Um, God, uh, we, I know what a challenge it is to raise our kids um, in a way that, that pleases and honors you, and that um, especially with all this stuff that they, we come at, up against in this world. And so, God, I just pray that um, as they make these commitments today, um, that we as a church would, would support them and love them as families. But, God, I also pray that you give them the strength and encouragement and just the love to be able to raise their kids in a, in a godly environment, one that points to Jesus Christ and, and says, He's your hope. He is, he's the center of your life. He's the most important thing. And so, God, I pray that as we make that commitment today, as we make that promise today, God, that you would be the one who helps us keep that together. And, Lord, we also lift up to you these children, Allie, London, Kennedy, Lily, and Nora. We thank you for them. We thank you for what they mean to their families. We know that your word tells us that children are a blessing from you. We are so grateful that you have placed them in these unique families. May their hearts always be tender towards spiritual things, and may they always be drawn to you from a young age. We know you have plans for them, and those plans are good. May they trust you and grow to be the women and men you desire them to be. And Father, as a congregation, May we take our responsibility of encouraging these families and supporting them to heart. We promise to pray for them and be an example of your church to them. Hear our, hear our prayer, O Heavenly Father, in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with these families together. Thank you, guys. You guys can head off. Thank you. Uh, as the ushers come forward this morning, we are going to uh, get a chance to worship God through our giving today. Giving is actually another act of worship we get to. We sing, we listen to the word, we pray together. Worship is just, or giving is another act of worship that we get a chance to participate with um, and, and uh, be able to give back some of what God has blessed us with. So let's pray together for the offering. God, we thank you for um, just the, uh, the monetary gifts that you've blessed us with. And God, we want to participate um, and how you want to bless others. Um, we're, we're talking this whole month about loving our neighbors and um, loving people outside even the walls of this church. And so, God, I know some of the, the money that we give back um, in this portion of our service actually helps, enables us to love our neighbor. And so, God, I pray that um, as we give, we would give out of a cheer, cheerful heart and um, that we would give just as, just as a little part back of what you have blessed us with. And so, God, we thank you for an opportunity to be able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.
with us. job. You can go ahead and have a seat. You clearly brought your A-game today. This is tremendous. What a service, Valentine's Day, to just share with these families as they dedicate their children and as all of us dedicate ourselves to the Lord and lift our hearts up to Him. Before I get to the message, uh, just another quick announcement. Matt mentioned our worship night Saturday, 6 o'clock here on uh, February 27th. I also want to let you know that a week from tonight, um, we're continuing our Sunday Night Spotlight teaching series by talking about Christianity and politics. Christianity and politics. Uh, You know, with the election season on us, you know, what does that mean for us as Christians? How should our faith influence our politics? A lot? A little? None at all? So we're going to teach you the scriptures. We're going to look at some contemporary issues, and we're also going to have some time at the end for questions. We'll start at 6, go to about 7.30. There's child care uh, provided, but you're going to need to sign up for that at the adult ministries desk. Really looking forward to that right here next Sunday night, beginning at 6 p.m. Well, last week, uh, Pastor Adam kicked off our four-week series 
for the month of February entitled Love Your Neighbor. Love Your Neighbor, where the goal for us as a church and for us as individual Christians is to grow in how we live out the second half of Jesus' greatest commandment, which simply says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so as Adam walked us through the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 and challenged us to move beyond head knowledge and into heart action, we realize that we are called to progressively die to self and become more others-centered as we know and follow Jesus. And just to be clear, this is much more than a theoretical idea. This is a call to practical action where we're actually doing something for someone else who's part of our natural path of life. That's why after the service, we had you put two pins on that huge map in the lobby of the Great Lakes Bay region, one pin for where you live and another pin for where you work or where you spend a significant amount of your time. By the way, have you had a chance today to see that map? It's pretty cool to see where all the, the pins are. we got a lot of different pins in a lot of different places. You know, one of my favorite map stories from last week was in the lobby after the first service where I saw this woman grab the step stool that was right there. She got on top and reached all the way up to the top of the map to put a pin somewhere between Linwood and Pinconning. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I don't know if you noticed too, we even had some pins that were outside the map, which is great. That's where our neighbors live. That's where God has placed uh, so whether you live right here in the heart of Saginaw Township or you're all the way out in the thumb or somewhere in between, God has given you neighbors to love. When I say neighbors, I don't just mean the people who live physically next door to you, although that's part of it. No, our neighbors include our coworkers, our classmates, our bowling buddies, our fitness partners, our fellow soccer parents, our barber, our stylist, the waitress at our favorite restaurant. The list is endless. Let me just add this. There's no such thing as a coincidence, right? No such thing as coincidence. Rather, I believe that the people who come into our lives have been sovereignly placed there by God. There is a reason why that particular person is your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what we looked at last week, and it's a message that really lays the foundation for the rest of our series. So with that in place, today I want us to take a next step in this call to love others by talking about what it means for us to love well. What does it mean for us to love our neighbor well? Where our love for people is much more than just checking off some box on a long list of religious duties because it's the quote-unquote Christian thing to do, right? No, if we have love that's expressed for others, that's supposed to flow from the vast and infinite well of the love that God has for us, then loving our neighbor is going to go way beyond the bare minimum, right? We're loving our neighbor well shows a love that's genuine, a love that's sacrificial, and a love that is shared in a practical way. So to do that, I want us to revisit the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read through it again like we did last week, but this time I want us to think about it from a different perspective. That instead of comparing the three different characters, you know, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, who see this man beaten and lying on the side of the road, instead of that perspective... I want us to think about the view from the ditch. I want us to enter into the experience of the victim, the one who is robbed of his possessions, stripped of his clothing, and literally left there half dead. I want us to think about him for a moment. So Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, Luke writes, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? Well, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he, this man, wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to meet where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Remember what Adam said last week, that the Samaritan in the minds of the religious elite would have been the unlikeliest of heroes. No one would have expected this low-life, half-Jew, half-Gentile to be the one that Jesus applauds. It is the ultimate plot twist. So going on then with the rest of verse 34, then he, the Samaritan, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So his actions are far from the bare minimum, right? This is above and beyond what anyone would have been expected to do in a situation like this. But that's the story. The story that Jesus tells in response to the question, who is my neighbor? And so after he's done, Jesus looks at this smug, self-righteous, religious expert in the Hebrew scriptures and asks him this question. So, so which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now this is clearly a slow pitch softball kind of question, right? It's like who's buried in Grant's tomb? When was the war of 1812, right? (laughs) Who was a neighbor to this man? So the man answers, pretty obvious. Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Other translations say the one who showed, who demonstrated mercy. Then Jesus told him, you want to love your neighbor? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The passage begins with this expert in law wanting to justify himself before God, but Jesus takes him to school, and by the end, he not only exposes the inadequacy of this man's works-based approach to religion, but then Jesus also teaches him and us about what it really means to love our neighbor. That's the passage, and that's the parable. And as we read through it again, we get this renewed sense, don't we, of how extravagantly the Samaritan expressed his love for this man. Extravagant love, no question about it. But as we go through this parable again, we're also reminded about how desperate, how desperate this beaten man's situation really was. I mean, can we go back to the parable for a moment, verse 30? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, this well-traveled 17, 18-mile stretch of road when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, I know this is a very personal question, but let me ask you. Have, have you ever been through anything so traumatic like that before? Have you something so violent, so dehumanizing like physical assault or rape or some kind of abuse? You know, thankfully, I never have, but I think in a group this size, I'm sure we have some people here today who have been through some kind of horrific experience like that. And so maybe you can identify somewhat with this beaten man in the parable. But then for the rest of us who've been spared from that kind of awfulness, I don't think we can imagine what it's like to be that person. That person beaten left half dead on the side of the road, and stripped not only physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. What it's like to be that helpless and that hopeless. Now, the reason I want us to think about this victim and his situation for a moment is that it begins to help us understand the nature of true compassion. The nature of true compassion. You know, the English word for compassion is literally the combination of two Latin words put together, right? To suffer with. To suffer with. To suffer with someone else who's experiencing pain, trials, distress, misfortune. They're hurting because they're going through a difficult situation, and our awareness of that situation produces within us these deep feelings of sympathy and sorrow. Somehow, some way, we are identifying with their misery. And it draws out of us this strong desire 
to want to help them, to want to alleviate or even eliminate their suffering. And that desire is so strong within us, then it actually moves us to action. To action. Let's go back to the parable for a moment. You know, after the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side of the road, we're then introduced to the Samaritan man, verse 33. That as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, in the verses to follow, we read that the Samaritan does even more than this, but I want to stop here because I love how these two verses illustrate the nature of true compassion. See, first of all, true compassion starts with open eyes. Open eyes, it is an awareness of what's going on around us. When he saw him, he saw him. The fact is, much to my shame, I spend far too much time going through life with a lack of awareness. A lack of awareness that I'm too busy to notice or I'm too self-preoccupied to look beyond my own little world. And so if I'm going to grow as a compassionate Christian, part of that awareness is slowing down. It's building some margin into my life. It is looking around and noticing the needs of people that God brings across my path. True compassion starts with open eyes, but then it also moves on to an open heart. Look back at the passage, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Or as the ESV translation of the Bible puts, he had compassion See, we can notice what's going on around us, but we can also just choose to move on to the other side of the road, right? Like the priest and the Levite. See, true compassion turns that awareness into genuine concern. That my heart is engaged with a situation that I'm entering into what this other person is going through, and I am sincerely moved by it. You know, it's here with the heart that I think we face our toughest test when it comes to compassion. And the test is this, am I willing by the grace of God to rise beyond my own self-centeredness and let my heart be affected by someone else's suffering? Or am I going to remain in the cocoon of my own self-preservation and shield my heart from unpleasant feelings? This is the battleground when it comes to compassion. You know, there is this incredible moment in American history when this very question was asked by one of our greatest leaders. Then on the evening of April 3rd, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King, on the night before his assassination, was addressing a group of sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee, who were on strike. And in that speech, Dr. King actually brings up the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as he gets towards the end, he makes this observation from the parable that I think is just pure genius. Dr. King says this, He says, the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? (laughs) How will my life be inconvenienced? Maybe it's a ploy. Maybe it's a trick. He's playing possum and they're actually going to write. If I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? But then look at this. But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed this question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And with those words, he not only challenged his audience back then, but he also challenges us today, nearly 50 years later, that if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That is the other-centered nature of true compassion. This is what it means to love our neighbor, and this is what it means to love our neighbor well. So it's open eyes that lead to an open heart, which then in turn motivates us to help with open hands. So yes, there is this being moved quality to compassion, right? No question about it. But true compassion doesn't stop with feelings. It doesn't. No, an awareness of the situation and the affections of the heart lead to action that is needed in the moment. See, what does the parable say? That he goes to the man. He bandages his wounds. He pours on oil and wine, a fine cabernet, I might add. No, I don't know. From there, he puts the man on his own donkey, brings him to the inn, takes care of him. Even then, he's still not done. The next day, he takes out some money, gives it to the innkeeper, and says, look after this man, and when I get back, I'm going to reimburse you for any other expenses that come up. I mean, really, who does that? Yet here it is, this over and above expression of practical love that doesn't stop at the feeling, but turns into the doing 
Which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus says to the expert in the law at the end of the story. Go and what? Go and do likewise. Do likewise. That if you and I see someone else in pain, don't just notice it, don't just feel bad about it, but go and do something about it. This is the nature of true compassion. It is going through life with open eyes to see and open heart to feel and open hands to help. And I know that when you come to the parable of the Good Samaritan, it is very challenging. And it really motivates you to live much more compassionately. And that is a good thing. But when you leave church, you look around and you see so many needs around you, it can get very overwhelming pretty quickly, can it? I mean, financial needs, relational needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, societal needs. You know, you could go through life trying to meet all the needs you see, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and still not even begin to make a dent with all the problems you see. Now, I know this is probably a pretty old-school reference, but it's like the classic I Love Lucy episode, where Lucy and Ethel are working at a conveyor belt in the chocolate factory, and their job is to wrap up all the chocolates that go by. Know what I'm talking about, right? Right? And yet the harder they work, the faster the conveyor belt goes, and the more and more the chocolates pass them by and fall to the ground. Trying to live a compassionate life can seem like that, where the harder you try to meet all the needs around you, the more you feel like you're letting people down. So what are you supposed to do? Let me say a few things that I think the Bible teaches. First, you need to know that while our selfishness prevents us from living compassionately, our finite limitations as human beings keep us from meeting every need we see. See, sometimes we don't help, not because we don't want to, but because we're unable to. The fact is, there are always going to be more needs around you than you have the time and resources to meet. There are. That is just the reality of living in a fallen and broken world. Not only that, but also as people, we are emotionally finite. When you engage to help someone else, especially when the situation's intense, especially when it lasts over a long time, it is going to take a lot out of you. It is. You need to realize that, and you need to not feel guilty about it. There's actually a term now called compassion fatigue that recognizes how bombarded we are in the 21st century by all the needs around us, needs that are nearby and needs that are far away. And so whether it's a refugee crisis in the Middle East or a water problem in Flint, Michigan, or a grieving widow right next door, there are so many needs in this world, but there's only so, many spa- so much space in our heart to truly care. So how then do we square this reality of our limitations with this call to live compassionately? Well, this might be an oversimplification, but here's how I'd put it. While we can't do everything, we're called to do something. While we can't do everything, we're all called to do something. So yes, we can't meet every single need around us, but that doesn't give us a free pass to go through life with blinders on. It doesn't. Now, how exactly are we supposed to know what we're called to? Well, I don't think there's a steadfast set of rules on this. But I think the call to compassion includes a couple things. First, that call includes the people and situations that God brings into your life, okay? The people and situations that God brings into your life, not my life, your life. There is a reason why you are where you are, where you live, where you work, where you play, right? There's a reason. The people and situations that God brings into your life. Not only that, but second, I think the call to compassion also includes the people and situations that you just can't shake, right? The people in situations that you just can't shake. Why is it that your heart is drawn to the cause of global child trafficking? Why is it that you have a passion for inner city education? Maybe there's an explanation for it, or maybe God just put it on your heart. Sometimes they're just those things that defy logic, but you know they're real. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to have this sensitivity to the Holy Spirit who indwells every one of us as Christians, to respond to his promptings, to act on his nudges. So sometimes, you know, our acts of compassion will come as a result of prayer. But then other times, it's just this in-the-moment, on-the-spot kind of response. In the end, living compassionately as a Christian, you know, it's not just about meeting needs. 
No, it's about following Jesus wherever he leads you and to whomever he leads you. So no, while we can't do everything, we are all called to do something. Well, as we begin to wind down, I want to go back to the parable. I want to go back specifically to those four final words that Jesus speaks to the expert in the law, that after he paints this vivid picture of what true compassion looks like, after he hears the answer this man gives about which character in the parable was really a true neighbor to the man in need, Jesus wraps it all up with that simple, very straightforward command, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. That compassion isn't knowing about the right answer, but rather it's about doing the right thing. Go and do likewise. And so for us as a church, as we think about putting Jesus' words into practice in our own lives, about leaving here and going and doing likewise, I want to share with you some details Details of an exciting church-wide project that we are going to launch today, a project that's going to help encourage all of us to love our neighbor well. So here it is. You ready? A lot of you have been asking. Today, we are going to take a reverse offering. We're going to take a reverse offering that in a few minutes, the ushers are going to come forward, go row by row, and instead of passing the plate for you to put something in, they're going to pass containers filled with yellow envelopes just like this that you're going to take out. We want everyone here to take out an envelope, right? Because guess what? Inside every envelope, there's a $20 bill. Real live U.S. currency $20 bill. We are giving you $20, so what? So that you too can carry out Jesus' simple forward call to compassion to go and do likewise, to share the love of Jesus in a practical way. Can you believe, we're really going to do this. You're going to get $20, and no, I'm not Oprah, okay? It's not like you get a car, you get a car, right? No, seriously. And you know why we get to do this? We get to do this because of your over-the-top generosity last December with our Christmas Eve offering. Freely you have received, freely give. And so we want to bless our community, and we believe that this is going to be a great way for God to do that through all of us, including you. I mean, I need to tell you that in my nearly 20 years of Hopevale, I've never experience anything like this before at our church. And I truly believe that God is going to write some pretty incredible stories out of this. Stories that not just involve those who receive these gifts, but also stories through those of us who give them away. Now my guess is that as you try to take all this in, you got a lot of questions. And I get that. I mean, it is not every day that you leave church with more money in your pocket than when you first came in. At least I hope not, right? (laughs) So let me dive into some specifics. First of all, what exactly is the $20 for? Well, simply put, we want you to use your $20 either to meet a need or to encourage someone outside our church family. We want you to use those $20 to either meet a need or to encourage someone outside our church family. So what might that look like? Well, you might be standing in the line at the grocery store and right in front of you is a single parent with young kids who's barely holding it together. And God stirs your heart to say, hey, I just want to give you this to help you with your groceries. Or maybe you know someone going through some serious health challenges and you feel led to go to the store, buy some food, make a meal, and bring it over to them. Or maybe there's someone in your life who's out of work. It's been a few months, they're really struggling, and while $20 isn't going to make all the difference in the world, you just bring them an encouragement card, tell them that you're praying for them, and slip that $20 in there that they can use however they choose. Or maybe you know someone struggling with grief. They lost a loved one a while back, and they just can't, you know, pull out of it. So you take the $20, buy some flowers, let them know that you care. You know, those are just some examples. I know there's so much more that you can come up with, and I really believe, I really do, that if we seek God with a sincere heart, he's going to show each one of us exactly what that is. Again, to meet a need or to encourage someone outside our church family. Let me just say this, you know, we're not going to police what you do, but our preference would be this, that 
as you share that gift, it would be done with a personal touch as opposed to doing it anonymously. Share it with a personal touch as opposed to doing it anonymously, that there's some kind of personal interaction going on. So no, you don't have to necessarily know the person, but the impact, for instance, of paying for someone's meal while you're standing in line with them at a restaurant is far greater than going through the drive-thru and paying for the car behind you. Now, that would be a blessing as well, right? But a preference, our preference, would be something more personally interactive. Does that make sense? Now, as you're processing all this, you might be wondering, well, what should I say if they ask me why I'm doing this? That's a great question. So here's what I want you to say, real simple. I just want to share the love of Jesus in a practical way. I just want to share the love of Jesus in a practical way. I just want to share the love of Jesus in a practical way. Can you say that with me? I just want to share the love of Jesus in a practical way, right? No strings attached, no mention of hope, Al. No, you look like you could really use some help, okay? Definitely not that. (laughs) No, simply, I just want to share the love of Jesus in a practical way. Now, an answer like that might end the conversation or it might raise even more questions. So if someone asks you, you know, why are you doing this or presses you for more detail, feel free to say, you know, my church wants to bless our community, right? Something like that. And if they keep on going, sure, you can tell them that you go to Hopewell, but that is not why we're doing this. I hope you get that, right? That's not why we're doing this. See, this isn't about what a great church we are. No, this is about what a great God we worship. This is about what a great Savior we serve. And that just as God has poured out his amazing grace upon us, we too want to extend that same grace to others with no strings attached. This is about loving and serving people in the name of Jesus and then standing back and watching God work. So I'm going to have the ushers go on, get on up. The worship team's going to make their way to the back of the stage. We're going to get ready for this reverse offering. And as everyone gets in position, guys, it's going to be a few more minutes. Just hold on. I want to cover a few final details. First, we want everyone here to participate, middle school and up, okay? We want everyone here to participate, middle school and up. If you're a married couple, we want you to take two envelopes, not one, okay? And then second, for children, actually right now, even as we speak, we are running a parallel program in Kid City and Town, right? So for kids ages four and up, we are giving each of them $10, and their leaders are explaining to them what it's for and helping them think of ways that they can be generous and compassionate. And so parents, if you've got children over there, they'll get an envelope, they'll get an instruction sheet to go over at home that you, know, you guys can think through together what that is. And parents, if you've got kids with you today in the service who aren't going to be part of Children's Ministries Programming, We're going to leave it up to you, right? We're going to let you discern whether or not it's appropriate for them to take an envelope here and to be involved or not, right? That's your call. Third, while we are excited about this project, we also want you to be silent about this project, at least when it comes to social media, okay? So as you leave here, I don't want you to tweet out. I don't want you to post on Facebook. Hey, guess what? They're giving away $20 for free at Hopevale today, okay? (laughs) word gets out, we will easily have our largest 1230 service ever, okay? (laughs) But, But even beyond that, we're serious. I mean, we are really serious that we don't want this to be about us. And a lot of times, as many of you know, stuff on social media can come off the wrong way. So please refrain from saying anything specific about this on social media. For just a couple more, uh, while we don't want anything on social media, we do want to hear your story. We really do, and we want to encourage each other with how God is using it. So here's how we're going to do that. That when you get your yellow envelope, in addition to the $20 bill in there, there is also going to be an index card like this with some instructions on one side and blank on the other. So we would love for you to share your story on the blank side of the card, then post it on the giant Love Your Neighbor display in the lobby. So we've got that huge map of the Great Lakes Bay region in the middle, but on each side, there's plenty of large you know, space with cork board and whatever to put your card up there, take a pin, put it on, which leads me then to my last point. We would love for you to do this this week. This week. So in a moment after we pray, you know, we're going to have this time of dedication, this time of consecration. We're going to seek God together in prayer for his blessing and his guidance. 
See, you might already have someone else in, someone else in mind, or you might not. Either way, that's okay. We're just going to pray about it. We're going to pass out the envelopes, and then we're going to plan to do something this week. And then after all that, we're just going to do it. Don't overthink it, right? Go and do likewise. And I want to say this. It's a big project. This is a big ask. This is a huge step of faith. I get that. And so if you don't feel comfortable with this or you're just not quite sure, you can take a pass. You can take a pass. No judgment. We're not going to make you be a part of it. You can let the container pass by or you can even take an envelope now and drop it off in one of the communication boxes in the lobby. We don't want you to feel singled out, right? All we ask of everyone is that if you do take an envelope that you're going to use the money to bless someone else outside our church family. Don't steal it. Don't spend it on yourself. Don't give it to your sweetheart because you forgot about Valentine's Day, okay? (laughs) Here's the thing. We trust you. We really do. Every week when we talk about the offering, we say that it's ultimately between you and God. We feel the same way about this reverse offering. But for the rest of us who participate, this is going to be a lifetime memory of being available and watching God work. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen. It's exciting to imagine what God's going to do in us and through us as we leave here with open eyes to see, open hearts to feel, and open hands to help. So let's pray. Afterwards, the ushers are going to hand out the envelopes. And while they're doing that, Matt and the worship team are going to lead into a song They're going to play for a while, and after everyone has our envelopes, he's going to ask us to stand, and we'll join together in worship. So I want you to bow your heads with me, and let's pray together. Father, it's one thing to talk about compassion. It's another thing to live it out. And so here we are. We're here not with our ability, but with our availability to follow you, Jesus, wherever you lead and to whomever you lead us. Lord, we can't help but think of those songs, Hosanna, and the words that we sung. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love as you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth to eternity. Lord, this project isn't an end unto itself, but it is a catalyst, a catalyst for your church to rise up and to love people just like you have loved us. So help us to go and do likewise. I pray for every single person in this room who's going to take an envelope. You begin to give us a name, a face, a situation, just even more importantly, an openness to how we can bless others in the name of Jesus, that we would leave from here with open eyes to see, an open heart to feel, and open hands to help. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
go. So may the Lord fill us up and send us out. Next week, uh, Pastor Ken's going to continue our series as we talk about what it is to love our neighbor together with other Christians. But as you go from here, may the Lord flood your heart with compassion as you go and do likewise. Let us be the church. God bless you.